This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, coming to you from Gadigal Land, and this is The Full Story. Last week, a group of hackers began posting data on the dark web. We will uh, get to the bottom of where this has come from and we will hold uh, whoever is responsible for this to account. These posts contained customer data from Medibank, one of Australia's largest private health insurance providers, including what the hackers say are health claims lodged with Medibank for things like access to abortion services or drug and alcohol rehabilitation. The AFP say they think they know the identity of the hackers and the location, Russia, and they're working around the clock to catch them. But the hackers say they're not stopping until they get $10 million. How bad could this get? It's already incredibly distressing. Uh, The fact that uh, information was published going to very personal health details of, of Australian citizens is disgusting and something that uh, is, uh, I think, just totally reprehensible and is causing a great deal of distress in the in the community. Today, the Medibank hack and the risk to your private health information. It's Monday, the 14th of November. So, Josh, I spoke to you a few weeks ago and your assessment at the time was that the Medibank hack might not be, you know, too big a story. Has that changed? Yes, definitely. As the weeks progressed, we're getting more and more information. So it's gone from, oh, this might be a bit of an issue to, well, this could potentially be worse than the Optus data breach in some ways. Josh Taylor is a reporter at Guardian Australia. Cyber hacks each have their own character and the concerns and issues that citizens will face even in this one instance have many variations. And in question time last Thursday, the Home Affairs Minister Claire O'Neill fired up about this attack. And I want the scumbags behind this attack to know that the smartest and toughest people in this country are coming after you. Before we go into exactly how all of this happened, Josh, can you just give me a sense of what type of data has been hacked and from who? So what we know from Medibank is that around 9.7 million current and former customers are affected by the breach, and that includes 5.1 million Medibank customers, 2.8 million AHM customers, and 1.8 million international customers. And these are both current and former customers, and they're required to hold uh, people's personal information for up to seven years after they stop being a customer. So it does actually include quite a lot of former customers. Mm. We're essentially relying on what Medibank has said has been taken so far, and it's, it's the usual sort of things that you associate with customer data And that is, uh, you know, names, gender, date of birth, address, email address, phone number. Uh, And in some cases, it's also uh, health claim data. Uh, There's also ID verification information. So that could include, you know, passport numbers, uh, driver's license information. Um, There is also Medicare numbers included in those as well. A lot of this data is similar to the Optus hack, except for this health claim data. What does that actually look like? When you make a claim with Medibank, you know, you go to the hospital and and you want your private health insurance to cover something. There's a unique code, it's a bunch of numbers that they put against it. 
Um, and that's basically what you're claiming, whether it's, you know, an MRI or, or um, you know, a, a, some other sort of procedure. And they can sort of cross-reference this number with the actual what, what you're claiming it against. So it might look like an innocuous piece of information, but it's fairly easy to identify through that what uh, people are getting. And then last week, we started to see some of the release of some of this information, and that was done in two initial file dumps that were what they were calling a naughty list and a, and a good list. And that naughty list includes high-profile people who have made claims around drug issues or uh, mental health issues and things like that. Yeah, the Prime Minister and the Home Affairs Minister have noted that they are Medibank customers. Do we have any idea of who these high-profile people are on this naughty list? After the first leak, the um, Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, came out and said that people should not be reporting on in the media or in social media about the contents of these files. So they're calling for people to just not, I guess, breach anyone's privacy and say who is in there and what what they've claimed against. Um, and then we saw even more sensitive data come out in the second breach when there was a file that was just labelled abortion was was dropped. What was in that file as far as we know? It was labelled abortion, but it basically covers any sort of procedure that might be associated with terminating pregnancy, and that can be for pregnancies that weren't viable or if someone has to go to hospital for, after a reinfection. So although it's it's sort of labelled abortion, it can cover a wider range of things. And although you know, it'll be lined up against a name. It doesn't necessarily mean that the person whose name is on that is is the person who had that procedure because mm-hmm. they could be the policyholder and they could be claiming it against their partner or something like that. And then on Friday, the hackers released a third round of records that are appear to be related to the harmful use of alcohol. And there's around 240 records in those. And Medibank is essentially gearing people up that, you know, as of we're recording on Friday, we're expecting more leaks to come in the days ahead. Having something like your abortion records or drug rehab records taken by someone else and then aired to the public is horrifying for anyone to really think about. Is this the main risk here, this private medical information, or are there other risks in releasing the data? When we've been talking about some of the other breaches, we've been focused on the potential for people's identities to be stolen and and fraud to be carried out in your name and things like that. But this is some of the most personal information about a person that you can find out. And if you have it end up online, once it's out there, it's out there. There's no going back from that. So it's really it's really detrimental to a lot of people if this is put out there and if it is then sort of sifted through and gone through and, and having people look it up because that, that could be potentially there forever. I think we're going to see law enforcement obviously keeping track on where this is ending up and, and trying to bring it down. But once it's out there, it's out there. But there is other identity information in this dump as well, including some Medicare card numbers and um, some, you know, ID information, including passport numbers and things like that. But uh, obviously the healthcare information is the most important bit, I think. And it's not just someone's privacy that's at risk here, right? You, you can imagine a scenario where someone with access to sensitive information like a CEO or a government official could be blackmailed for company or, or government secrets if their data is exposed. Yeah, and we've had warnings from the Australian Federal Police in the last week basically saying that they're watching people for potential piggyback threats arising from this data. So if people start getting extortion or scam attempts, if they've been included in the data and they're very much keeping an eye out for that at the moment. So Josh, how did this hack happen? 
What do we know about it so far? So what I understand, according to uh, sources that are close to the investigation, the attack is believed to have begun when a person with high-level access within Medibank systems had their credentials, their login details and passwords, we assume, stolen by a hacker who then put them up for sale on a Russian-language cybercrime forum, basically acting as a credential broker, which then sold them on to a second hacker or a group of hackers who then infiltrated Medibank's network. Right, so this isn't just one person or hacker, it's more like a, a network that's feeding into a broader marketplace. How sophisticated is this system, Josh, and how does it work? So the, the black market is a wide variety of things. It can be like um, if you're wanting to hunt for a username and password for a certain site or uh, if you're looking for data dumps, like you know, basically what we're seeing out of the Medibank dump now. Some of the stuff that you can buy on there includes, you know, malware. You can actually, I guess malware is a service where you can hire people to go and start attacking people that you're interested in attacking and things like that. So there's basically anything that you want in, in, in this sort of area, you can go there and find it. It's kind of like Airtasker, except for cybercrime. Yeah, it's like hackers for hire. So could I go onto the internet right now and order, you know, a company to be hacked? <laughs> you could if you knew what you were doing and you knew where to find it. It's not like you can go to Google and go, how do I hack someone else? I mean, you could probably Google that and they would give you some results, but it wouldn't be <laughs> the, the kind of services that you'd, you'd find on the dark web. Could you do it, Josh? Uh, I mean, anyone who's worked around cybersecurity experts or um, has worked in this area knows where to find this sort of stuff. So I can find it. It is easy for me to find, but I would not encourage people to go and try and find it themselves, apart from everything else, that if you're going into these places, you are putting yourself at risk as well. Right. So once these hackers were able to get into the Medibank system, what did they do? So they established two backdoors into the system, and that basically means that they were making it easy for them to be able to keep coming and going into the network whenever they wanted without being detected and, and you know taking out data and things like that. And they set up two so that if one was discovered, they would potentially still be able to access the system through the other. Mm. And so it's believed that the attacker managed to conduct a thorough examination of Medibank's network for, for quite a while, really, for months even. And then they developed a bespoke piece of software that was able to withdraw customer information from the customer database and then they put it in a zip file, which means they compressed it, and then they pulled it out of the network. It was at that point that Medibank detected suspicious activity on the network and found and closed the two backdoors. But exactly when the credentials were taken and the attack first occurred is yet to be disclosed. Was this hack preventable? There was a lot of discussion about, you know, the Optus hack and how essentially the flaw was so obvious that they should have been able to prevent it. Are we seeing a similar thing with Medibank? Noting that Optus still disputes the uh, claim that it was not a sophisticated attack, we can say that I think that the Medibank data breach was much more sophisticated than the Optus one, but we're still in the process of figuring out how it occurred and what measures could have been put in place. So it's really still too soon to say. There, there is a view that Medibank should have had some uh, greater precautions in place. And given that Medibank has so much personal information, including the health information, that they should have had much better security in place. There is currently an external review underway into what went wrong and how it happened. And Medibank has said that they are keen to share as much as possible from that report. So not only can they learn what they did wrong, but also what other businesses might be able to learn from their mistakes. 
So, Josh, I want to talk through what Medibank and the government plan to do about all of this. Let's start with Medibank. They've been in communication with these hackers. What has that dialogue been like? So after Medibank shut down the back door, it was unclear how much, if any, data had been taken. But a week later, the hacker reached out. Uh, They were initially speaking via ProtonMail, which is basically an encrypted anonymous email app that people use. We also know that they've posted WhatsApp chats with the Medibank CEO, David Koska. In these conversations, the hacker provided a thousand records to the insurer to prove that they have the data that they claimed. And the hacker claims that they initially sought $10 million from Medibank, although uh, it is important to note that Medibank is not revealing how much the alleged hacker asked for. The hackers then claim they reduced the price to $9.7 million, which is about a dollar per customer, and they call this a discount. The Medibank CEO has been out and about saying that uh, the ransom amount is irrelevant and uh, they wouldn't have paid any amount. Uh, the hackers then last week said that they wanted to inform customers that the CEO was refusing to pay for people's data. Talk me through that. What is Medibank's reasoning for not paying the ransom? I spoke to the Medibank CEO, David Kozka, about this. Nice to talk to you. So I think first off, um, could you maybe go a little bit into the process of, of, of uh, coming to the decision to not pay the ransom? Uh, the decision to not pay the ransom uh, was based on the advice we've had, uh, extensive advice from cybercrime experts. And he told me that paying a ransom amounted to extortion and it might have resulted in customers or other businesses being targeted as well. There's very limited chance that any payment to this criminal would protect our customers. But there's a very strong chance that it would increase the exploitation of our customers and actually put more Australians at risk. This is consistent with the policy of the government, uh, and that's why uh, we've made the decision uh, to not pay the ransom. And this is true. The official advice from the federal government's Australian Cybersecurity Centre is to never pay a ransom. Right, and the thinking behind this is that just because you pay, it doesn't mean that the hackers will give back the data or stop releasing the data or that other people won't extort the customers for even more money. Is that right? Yeah, David Koska was essentially saying that you can't trust criminals, that once the transaction's been done, that they won't just end up publishing it online anyway, particularly with people who are doing this hacking on a daily basis and, you know, making their living out of it. Yeah. Does everyone agree with the government and with Medibank that it is better not to pay a ransom every time? Well, I spoke to Richard Buckland, who's a professor of cybercrime at the University of New South Wales, and he said the Medibank case was one of the few where a company should pay the ransom. He said that the costs, as we, I guess we are seeing now, of not paying are so extraordinarily high that it would probably justify the cost of paying. And this is because... It's causing harm to innocent people who had nothing to do with the incompetence of the organization in looking after the data. And they were forced to hand that data across and that collateral damage is what makes it different. Mm. Uh, And while not paying the ransom is official advice, in reality, many businesses do. Uh, Cybersecurity firm Sophos released a state of ransomware report in April this year, which found that in Australia, 43% of companies paid ransom after ransomware attacks compared to 46% globally. So how are Medibank helping their customers whose private health information is now in the hands of hackers and out on the internet? Medibank has been apologising many, many times unreservedly to customers for this breach. I'd like to also say that I unreservedly apologise to all our customers. Um, Everyone deserves 
privacy. In addition to the regular sort of identity protection and all that sort of stuff, reimbursement for fees for reissue of ID documents that were taken. There's also financial support for people who are in a uniquely vulnerable position. So that's people who may be the victims of domestic violence or uh, in, you know, very, very sort of precarious health situations. Um, there's also a specialist health and wellbeing support lines. This is counselling that's available for people that are, that are suffering from issues. So they're, they're doing a bit more than what we've seen in previous attacks. But yeah, we, we're sort of waiting to see what the full package is, I guess, it's still in progress at this stage. I know Australians are angry, distressed and seeking answers about the highly sensitive and deeply personal information that is being released by criminals who breached Medibank Private's database. So Josh, the AFP believe they know the identity of the hackers and the location, Russia. Our intelligence points to a group of loosely affiliated cyber criminals who are likely responsible for past significant breaches in countries across the world. But they say they won't be naming them. These cyber criminals are operating like a business with affiliates and associates who are supporting the business. We also believe some affiliates may be in other countries. What exactly are the police and the government doing about this hack? So the AFP say that they're working with Interpol and are hoping to talk to Russian law enforcement about this as well, to track them down. This is part of Operation Palladius, which was set up to investigate who was behind the breach. They've also expanded Operation Guardian, which was set up to protect the 10,000 Optus customers who had their personal information exposed earlier this year to those Medibank customers who are now exposed. And we've also got legislation before the parliament now that will uh, change privacy laws to impose harsher penalties of up to $50 million for companies that end up having serious or repeated data breaches. $55 million. $50 million, yes. And that's charged to companies like Medibank, potentially. Yes. So that legislation is currently before the Senate committee, and we know that a lot of businesses are a bit upset about that penalty. So whether that stays in, we'll have to wait and see. But I think the level of consumer anger out there at the moment as a result of these breaches means that there's a good chance that the government probably won't back down on this. Next, why are so many Australian companies being targeted by hackers? Laura Murphy Oates here. If you're enjoying Full Story, I think you'll really like another podcast we make here at Guardian Australia called Book It In. On Book It In, some of Australia's favourite authors open up about the ideas behind their books in personal and thought-provoking conversations that you won't hear anywhere else. This week, you'll hear Queensland Literary Award winner Siang Lu and Book It In host Jane Lee open up about how movies change the way they think about themselves. Why is it that I'm expending so much energy trying to act white, trying to fit in with white culture, when I have, you know, this heritage and rich culture that is worth embracing, I started to realise, actually, I should be proud of my Chinese heritage. I should learn more about it. Subscribe to Book It In Now on your favourite podcast player and you can listen to Siang Lu's episode on Thursday. 
So Josh, there's just been an incredible array of Australian companies that have been hacked recently. You know, since Optus first disclosed their breach in September, there's been Woolworths, MyDeal, Energy Australia, Vino Mofo, MedLab, and now Medibank. Is Australia being targeted by hackers right now? I don't think Australia is being targeted any more than we otherwise would have been. It's just that the focus on us is a lot higher at the moment because of the Optus and then the Medibank data breaches, where you look at the cybercrime trends and it is constantly going up, but it's not a sudden spike. It's not like there's been a sudden burst in activity. It's just that we're very much more aware of it through media reporting and through these companies coming out and talking about it than we otherwise would have been. Right. So we might see both companies reporting hacks that have occurred more and media picking up on those hacks more as well. Yeah, I think... The Medibank attack seemed to be the company really keen to get on on the front foot. And so it would be interesting to see after Optus and Medibank now whether there's much more appetite for getting out there and getting ahead of the story rather than just letting it sort of slide by and, and not be reported You know, when, when there's a big breach like this. It does seem like Medibank and the hackers are kind of at a stalemate at the moment. What do you think is going to happen from here? Are we about to find out a whole bunch more private information about high-profile people in Australia? We will probably see much more data being released by the hacker uh, or hackers. Whether what's in that data is reported is another thing. The Home Affairs Minister, Clara Neal, said in Parliament that social media and traditional media should not be disclosing the contents of the data leaks. And so I think that that puts an onus on... Um, media outlets such as us, uh, such as some of the other ones, to be a bit cautious in how it's being reported, but also the social media company. Now, this is potentially a bit interesting because, you know, we've we've seen the chaos that's been around with the um, Elon Musk takeover of Twitter and whether the moderation enforcement activity is still happening on there. Um, will, if there's something posted on Twitter about this breach, will that be brought down fairly quickly? We will have to, you know, it's going to be horrible, but we may have to just wait and see on that one. I know you've written quite a few pieces about how companies and regular people can protect themselves from these hacks and these types of attacks. Do you think that after all of this in the year that we've had, Australia is just going to be a lot less hackable in the future? (laughs) I definitely don't think Australia will be much less hackable. I think that what we're going to see is, I mean, people should generally do the usual security hygiene things of, you know, changing their passwords, using multi-factor authentication, being aware of where your data is going. But ultimately, the onus is on businesses and government agencies and things like that to be more secure about what data they're holding on to and how it's being stored and everything like that. And I think, if anything, the Optus and the Medibank data breaches have just served as massive wake-up calls for for businesses. And hopefully it means that they'll spend a bit more time and money making the networks more resilient and hopefully not ending up as the next Optus or Medibank. And I think, hopefully, it will also encourage a national conversation about whether we need to change laws to reduce the amount of data that companies hold on us and for how long. Josh, I know big companies are supposed to protect our data, but is there any real motivation for them to do this, to spend the time, money and effort on preventing these leaks in the first place? Well, we know from Medibank's own reporting that this breach is going to cost them between $25 and $35 million at least so far. So if that's not a disincentive, I don't know what potentially is. I think a lot of the the issues in the past has been Some of these companies have viewed potential data breaches as sort of the cost of doing business. And if you make it more expensive than the cost of doing business through, you know, potentially fines through legislation, it 
could potentially serve as a as a way to to you know put some fire up them to make sure that they're um they're doing the right thing. That was Josh Taylor, a reporter at Guardian Australia. This is a rapidly evolving story, so to catch the latest updates on this, head to theguardian.com, where you can also read a whole wealth of Josh's reporting on this issue, including a really interesting piece called Buying Bad, the black market where access to hacked Australian data can cost just $500. Takes a closer look at the market for hackers in Australia and around the world. This episode was produced by Joey Watson, with sound design by Joe Koning. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson, Molly Glassie, and me, Laura Murphy Oates. Okay, catch you tomorrow. Um.